your hand up if you need a Bible. Oh, thank you, Ben. Is that? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it is. Thanks, Ben. Keep your hand up if you need a Bible. There's one there, Stephen. You're right. There we go. And one in the back there. For toasting there at the back. That's great. If you don't have a Bible, please do keep that one as a gift from LBC. We love to give people God's Word. So if you don't have your own Bible, please do keep that as we love to give folk a Bible. John chapter 12, verse 9 to, or verse 12, sorry, to 19. And it's page 845 of the Church Bible, page 845, John 12, verse 12 to 19. John 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as is written. Fear not, daughter of Sion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was because he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that we are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are with us this morning in the power of your Holy Spirit. That we serve a Saviour who not only has defeated death by raising Lazarus from the tomb alive, but has went into the ultimate death, wrestled it, destroyed it, and risen from the grave alive forevermore three days later. I pray this morning now that you would take each of our hearts and our minds and attention and focus them not on the speaker, but on you that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move amongst us, drawing us closer to Jesus, trusting him more if we follow him. And if we have never heard of him, we do not know who this person is that is being talked about, that you would reveal yourself in the gift of salvation. And I acknowledge before you, Lord, that I am not able to do any of these things, but ask you simply for your help. And I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me quote you a famous Irish philosopher. He goes by the name of Paul David Hewson. I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you. I have kissed honey lips, felt healing fingertips that burned like fire, this desire. I have spoken with the tongue of angels. I have held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night, I was cold as stone. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe in kingdom come, then all the colours will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I am still running. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The famous philosopher, of course, is Bono from the U2 song, I Still Haven't Found What I Am Looking For. And what a perfect creed 
for society nowadays. It's like a modern update of the book of Ecclesiastes, isn't it? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Where is the meaning in life? We are richer as a nation than we ever have been, and that's not ignoring the appalling poverty we have. We have more entertainment on Netflix, on Disney+, Plus, on Paramount, and all the things in our hand than we have ever had before. I remember the days when TV had four channels. We're more entertained, more prosperous. We have more options to feed. I don't know if you saw the picture yesterday from the Brayford of the flood, but there's a picture of a couple sitting outside five guys in the flood having a burger. We have more options than ever before, and yet... In society, there is still a hollowness. There is still a longing. There is still an emptiness that we cannot fill. And that's why I quote Bono, because these guys see that in society and pick it up. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Have you, friend, this morning found what you're looking for? Have you found a peace that passes all understanding? Have you found a love which you're searching for in all the wrong places but have not yet found? Have you found that love which holds you and takes you as you are and loves you radically and unconditionally? That's what you're looking for. Eternity that God himself has put in your heart, that vast yearning for something beyond this world, have you found the answer to that? And so we shouldn't be too hard in this crowd here. We know this is Palm Sunday. It may seem a bit strange doing Palm Sunday before Christmas, but let us not lose the facts of this here. This crowd in Jerusalem is no different from you and me. They may be 2,000 years in the past. They may look different in terms of what they were and how they dress, but their hearts are yearning for something. They are looking for something that they still haven't found. And so when this figure, this wonderful, wonderful figure, This man who claims to be God, who has raised somebody from the dead. I mean, I cannot get over John chapter 11. That when Jesus shouted out, Lazarus, come forth. As one commentator said, he had to say Lazarus' name. Because if he cried, come forth in the graveyard, all the graves would have emptied. This figure who takes broken outcasts and lets them weep at his feet, lays his hand upon them and says, it is well, your faith has saved you, go in peace. This one who turns water into wine simply so that a wedding may rejoice in celebration and also to show who he is because his mother asked him to. This one who walks on water, not having a burger with five guys in the Brayford in the middle of it, but actually walking on water. This one who can say to wind and waves and storms, wished, be still. This arresting figure, this Jesus. And so the crowd comes to him and they gather around him. We see here the start of it here. When the text says there in John chapter 12, the next day, the large crowd. Unsurprisingly, there's a debate about how big the crowd was. Josephus says it's a quarter of a million. Other commentators say it's 150,000. This just agree to say it was a big crowd. And this big crowd is surging around Jesus. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem isn't big. So 150,000 people, it's a tight, packed space. And when crowds get together, they whip each other up into a frenzy, do they not? Especially if you're English rugby fans. Sorry. 
And this crowd is gathered together and they're questioning, they're asking. We know this is one of the few accounts in the Gospels where all four Gospels record this. Who is this person? What's he about? What's going on? There's excitement around him. And Jesus walks into the middle of this crowd, this uncontested figure, and there's a blessed confusion, verses 12 to 14. There's a blessed confusion, 12 to 14. How many times have you been blessedly confused? This blessed confusion. You see, the problem with this crowd and the problem with John's gospel and the problem we have nowadays is people don't actually listen to Jesus and what he says. And so they make assumptions. Have you ever made an assumption and you've been embarrassed? Remember once, did it once, never did it again. Asked the lady, when are you expecting? (laughs) Yes, I have done that. I still have the bruise. No. (laughs) Assumptions are dangerous things, are they not? And here this crowd in their blessed confusion, they're excited about Jesus because they're longing for somebody to come who would rescue them from the Romans. They're longing for somebody to come and give them the nation of Israel back in their own kingdom, like David, like Solomon, the Messiah who they thought was coming would be a great king, a warrior who would kick the Romans out of town, like Judas Maccabeus, like all those guys. And they hear about this Jesus who walks in water, who feeds the 5,000, who raises the dead, and they think, is this the political warrior? Is this the one who we can force our agendas onto? Is this the one we can shape in our own likeness to do what we want him to do, which is to get rid of the Romans so we don't have to pay any more taxes? Which is a great thing. And so in this blessed confusion of 12 to 14, some of the crowds start getting palm branches. Palm branches are lovely, aren't they? We used to do that up the road on Sundays, Palm Sunday. We get all the kids to have these palm branches and folks would be covered in palm cuts and palm branches in the eyes. But it was great fun, wasn't it? Palm branch in Israel has a significant meaning. If I say to you, what's a thistle? That's a jaggy thing. It's a symbol of Scotland. If I say to you, what's a red rose? It's the symbol of England. A palm branch in those days was the symbol of Jewish nationalism. When Judas Maccabeus, the last guy who came to town to kick out the, the invaders and liberated Israel about 100 years before Jesus, his symbol was a palm branch. And so in this blessed confusion, the crowd picks up palm branches trying to get Jesus to be the king they think they want. The king they think they're looking for. And so they wave the palm branches. But in the blessed confusion, they do get a few things right. Look at the language there in verse 13. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. In this blessed confusion, they do get that right. That Hosanna! How many of you like singing the Hosanna songs? Give me oil in my lamp, give me... I'll not sing anymore, don't worry. Hosanna, it's a great thing, isn't it? It's a lovely sound. Hosanna, Hoshiana. How can you be sad? Say Hosanna. You're very sleepy today. Oh, dear. (laughs) Hosanna. Hosanna. There we go. It's a lovely word. How can you be sad when you say Hosanna? Hosanna actually comes from Psalm 118, verse 5. And what it means is, save us, Lord, we pray. Save us, Lord, we pray. We pray. So even though this crowd has got whipped up in the blessed confusion of nationalistic fervor, they have hidden something that is right. Save us, Lord, we pray. Yes. This one in their blessed confusion will be the one who saves them, but not in the way they think. 
Beware of coming to Jesus with your own agendas. Beware of coming to Jesus with your own preconceptions. Beware of coming to Jesus with your assumptions. He is not like any of them. To truly know who he is and what he says, we need to listen to him. So in verse 14, Jesus steps into this blessed confusion and tries to resolve it. Verse 14 and 15, he brings some biblical clarity to it. Jesus finds a young donkey and sits on it just as it is written. I don't know if he went to Skegness to get the donkey, but he found a young donkey from somewhere. He sits on it just as is written. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus had to be very careful in this situation because the Romans were very jittery about people who were saying they were king. Understandably. And so what Jesus is doing here is trying to challenge the misconceptions and draw attention back to what he is saying to them. Oh, how important it is that we listen to Jesus to what he actually says, who he actually is and what he actually does. Jesus, by sitting on this donkey, brings echoes of Sadoc the priest and, how could you forget, Sadoc the priest, who was the other one? Nathan the prophet. You always get, can you hear the coronation anthem starting to play in your head there? When Sadoc the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed Solomon king, what did they put him on? Was it a big white steed? Was it a big noble horse? No, they put him on a donkey. They put him, the modern equivalent, remember those ladders? Remember the Russian ladders, the cars? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Remember those Russian cars, these wee boxy things? And ladders said that about 20 different varieties, basically what they meant, there was just 20 different colours of the same car. Imagine if King Charles in his coronation day pulled up to Westminster Abbey in a ladder. <laughs> or, a, or a smart car. Here they put Solomon on a donkey. Judas Maccabeus actually rode into Jerusalem on a donkey too to signify that these things are done differently, that they are humble kings, that they are kings who come, yes, with authority, but with humility, with a grace that is unsurpassable, with a dignity that is insurmountable. They come riding on a donkey and Jesus rides in and then he says these words in this biblical clarity that he brings to us. Are you ready for a wee bit of jumping around? Because these words are important here. Biblical clarity. How many of you remember the Green Cross Code? What does the Green Cross Code say? Stop, look, listen. Bear with me. Stop, look, and listen. Does that cover the whole of the Green Cross Code? Why do you stop? You stop because if you continue in forward motion, you'll become spaghetti. You look so that you see what's around you and you listen. But those three words, stop, look, and listen, are pegs to hang truths on, aren't they? Stop, look, and listen. Here, when Jesus cries out, there's a rich truth in this which shows us his character, which shows us who he is. The first thing he cries out is, fear not. And that comes from Isaiah 40, verse 9. When Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he doesn't just literally mean the passage. He picks a, pass, or a, a verse out, but expects us to know the context around it. He knew his Bible backwards and forwards. These guys live. Paul's the same. If you ever read Paul's letters and he quotes things all over the place, it's because his mind was saturated with the Old Testament. It puts me to shame. Do you know that in the Free Church of Scotland, if you want to be a minister in the Free Church of Scotland, this was 100 years ago, part of your examination process was you had to recite one of the 150 psalms chosen at random by the instructors. Isn't that something? Jesus knows the scripture. 
He knows it inside and out. And the psalm he quotes here, Psalm 40, verse 9, says this, Go up onto a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news. This is good news Jesus brings. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. He comes in might. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him. His recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will gather them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is a different king. This is a king who comes in power and majesty and yet scoops up the most gentle one gently in his hands. Who has measured the oceans in the hollow of his hands? Who has marked heaven off of the span? Jesus there picks up this text and says, Fear not, I am the one sent by God, the holy one, the majestic one, and the gentle one. The next one he quotes is Zechariah 9, verse 9. Behold, your king arrives. Jo- join with me in these texts. Come on, let's have a wee, wee look around here. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they will remember, I will bring them home. And even though he passes through a sea of troubles, I will strike down the waves of the sea. The depths of the Nile shall be dried up. I will make them strong in the name of the Lord. They will walk, declares the Lord. Humble, powerful king in Isaiah Zachariah, the Messiah who is to come, who will gather all the people of God together in one place. And even though they have difficulties, he will make them strong. This one who comes riding on a donkey with his power and his majesty. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey is he. And look at verse 17 there, Zechariah. For how great is his goodness, how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish, and the new wine the young man. These three texts, he hangs these truths on who he is. He is the one who says to his people, fear not. A friend, in the age that we live in, Richard prayed about it today when he started his prayer, in a world such as this. What a world we live in. Financial uncertainty, wars and rumors of wars. The whole thing, it's like a monkey's wedding, as you would say there, Warren. It's all sorts. Fear rising. How many of your friends are afraid? How many folk have you spoken to who have anxiety? How many folk are worried? And this Jesus comes into this and he addresses these things head on. Fear not, I am coming to you. Coming not as a king who will dominate and rule harshly and tyrannically, but as a king who is all power, all majesty, and all gentleness. I come to you as a shepherd. A shepherd who sees not crowds, but individuals. A shepherd who sees hearts before him. Hearts that are breaking. Hearts that are joyous. Hearts that are anxious. Hearts that need salvation. And he can answer each and every single one of those needs. This is the king who comes. This is the one who steps into this confusion. He isn't a nationalistic leader. Jesus isn't here to set up political kingdoms. He has got far more important work to do than that. He is here to transform hearts and bring people from all across this globe back to himself in love, in joy, in peace, in salvation. He will reign from sea to sea. 
and his glory one day will fill the earth. And he does this through love and grace. Napoleon. There's going to be a lot of talk about Napoleon recently. There's a film coming out. Did you know it was filmed in Lincoln Cathedral? Lincoln is famous. We are Napoleon. Napoleon said this. Napoleon was asked once in a moment of clarity, who was the person he was most jealous of? The person he was most jealous of. Napoleon said this. He said he was the most jealous of Jesus Christ. Because Napoleon said he had ruled through fear, through authority, through domination, through harshness, through taxation, through police. Jesus Christ has followers who run after him who are ruled by love in the heart. It's quite astute, isn't it? This king who comes into this blessed confusion, who comes to you when you're scaling these city walls, when you're looking for peace, is the one who says to you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, but as I give. This one who comes to fill the void of love in your life that you're trying to look for belonging, for comfort, for a source of identity. He is the one who comes and says to you, I will make you new. I will love you and love you to the end with an everlasting love. Behold, your identity isn't in your politics. It isn't in your sexuality. It isn't in your gender. Your identity is you are in Christ Jesus and he is your life. For those who are scaling the city walls, this one comes into the midst, riding on a donkey, turning out expectations because he is the humble king. Fear not. Well, friends, this morning you are gathered here. You're listening to somebody who is trying to open God's word through the power of the spirit, but in doing that, please look to Jesus. If you've followed him for many years and your love has grown cold to him, look afresh to him. Who is like him? Who is like him? Who is the one who comes to you in dark places and lifts your heart? Who is the one who walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death so that you will fear no evil because he is there? Who is the one who saw us in our sin and our rebellion against God and didn't say, right, I've had enough of you, but came and give his life on the cross that we could be saved? Who took our sin? Who took our shame? Who died on that cross? I mean, I read a quote recently. It staggered me. It said, this is how much God was determined to save us, that he grew the tree that the cross was on. We believe God is creator, don't we? He has made all things. He made the tree that he was crucified on. And not only did he make the tree, he also gave life and birth and health to the people who would stick spears in his side and nail him to that tree. I know of no king, no leader. In fact, I know of no one like Jesus. And here he comes into the midst of this crowd with all their certainties. He can bear the weight of their expectations. Here he comes into this crowd in the midst of all their sorrow. He can bear their sorrow. Here he comes into the midst of this crowd with all their pain and their anguish and their sin. And he indeed can and will bear it. Fear not, people of God. Your king has come and he has saved. In this blessed biblical clarity, lastly in the last couple of verses, 16 to 19, we see here three things of people saying they didn't know what they said. Have you ever said something really profound? And you've no idea where it came from. So that just happened to me. I, sometimes I catch myself saying things, and I know it's not for me. It's not, like, I couldn't have said it, but it comes out of your mouth like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> that, that just me. And then you can't remember what you said, and you've forgotten about it, which is really annoying. That happens here in these last couple of verses. 
The disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered these things had been written about him and done to him. Why do we read the word of God? Why do we come as Christians? Why is it important discipline to come and hear God's word preached, but to read it ourselves and to study it, to feed on it? Because it constantly shows us Jesus and we bring things to our remembrance about him. We had a prayer meeting the other day and somebody prayed and it was lovely. Lord, thank you for the promises in your word that we can cling to. The disciples here remembered these things in hindsight. Life is an amazing 2020 vision in hindsight. It's wonderful, isn't it? How many of you wish you could go back to the year when you were 18? Remember when you were 18? Spots, greasy hair, student finance. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's just me then. Oh, thanks. That's... How many would love to go back and live life differently? Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? The disciples looking back remembered these things, but they're remembering what had happened to Jesus. I mean, imagine the disciples, they witnessed this. They were with Jesus in Jerusalem when this happened. They saw the palm branches, they saw the cloaks, they saw the crowds go wild and ecstatic, saying, blessed is the king of Israel. Then three days later, he was crucified. And they're like, what happened? Or a week later, he was crucified. What happened there? But in hindsight, they see that God had predicted this all along. Zachariah saw Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the donkey. The word of God is amazing. And it is a sure and certain guide to us. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Friends, keep looking at Jesus if you follow him. Keep studying his word. Keep doing it in fellowship with each other. As we saw today, the closer you get to him, the closer we get to each other, and the more joy and knowledge we have in him. Later on next week, uh, Owen's going to preach for us in the passage, some Greeks seeking Jesus. One of the questions is, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Oh, Christian, is that your heart? Do you wish to see Jesus? You're listening to me this morning and thinking, I know all this. Why are you talking about Palm Sunday? That's boring. Get on to the other stuff. Christian friend, Jesus is never boring. Jesus is never dull. Jesus is here in his beauty. The disciples look back in hindsight and bore witness to him. Secondly, the crowd. The crowd here is really interesting. This crowd was sort of gathering around Jesus like a bunch of cheerleaders. I mean, what a strange job is cheerleading, isn't it? I mean, I know I have no desires to be a cheerleader. But it's a strange thing, isn't it? I mean, have you ever been, have you ever saw those American football games where the team, like England last night, is getting absolutely hammered? Sorry, I'm still sore about Ireland. And the cheerleaders on the side of the pitch are come on, go on, come on, go on. And the team's getting absolutely slaughtered. Everyone's like, what are you guys doing? Just give up and go home. This crowd's running around after Jesus basically cheering, this guy raised Lazarus from the dead, this guy raised Lazarus from the dead. Their faith isn't certain, but... Because as we well know in the cliche, this crowd that was cheering and this week as the king would cry a week later, crucify him, have a way with him. The crowd is fickle because their knowledge of Jesus isn't certain. And so they wave the palm branches and stuff, but the knowledge, they didn't listen to him. Friend, if you're here this morning and you still haven't found what you're looking for, I can't count the number of people I've talked to who reject Christianity for a version of Christianity that doesn't actually exist. Have you ever had that? You're sharing the gospel with people? When you share about Jesus. I remember a story of a friend of mine who's a preacher up in Dundee, Scotland, and it's still there after all the wind and rain. And he went into Costa. He was doing one of these events in Costa. It was like an evangelistic event up in Costa. 
And it's a shame about Costa, their coffee's not that great, but um, hopefully nobody works for Costa here. But <laughs> and he was a Costa Dundee, and it had a bookstore attached to it, so he was doing this evangelistic event, and this lady turned up to get a coffee, not realising there was a bunch of Christians there doing an evangelistic event. But being a good Scotswoman, she refused to move. I've paid for my coffee, I'm going to sit here. And so she sat there with rage. I mean... Have you ever spoke to somebody and they're just, the blood vessels kind of throbbing and they're really red? It's like you lot when I said there was no sticky buns for coffee church. No. <laughs> she was raging. But he started speaking. Didn't say anything profound. He just gave the gospel. That whosoever believes in the Lord Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever, anyone. Doesn't matter your background, color, creed, or nationality. Whosoever believes trusts in Jesus, puts their faith in him as Savior and Lord, believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead and confesses with their mouth, will be saved. For God so loved the world. And she started crying. And she cried. And she cried. But you don't know what's worse. If you've got somebody who's got rage, you've got somebody who's sort of sobbing because you're speaking, it's a bit off-putting. And the speaker went up to her afterwards and said to her, Are you Okay. She said to him, I've been brought up in church for about the first 20 years of my life. And I got so angry and so cross about what was preached that I walked out and never came back. And today at 60 years of age, I've come into this cafe. I've sat down, I've paid for my coffee and you lot were there and I was raging. But that was the first time in my life I have ever heard that God loves me. 60 years of age. Brought up in a church for the first 20 years of her life. And she went out of that church because later on the speaker found out that church was preaching politics and it was preaching social issues. And they're important and whatnot, but the main thing is the main thing, which is Jesus. That was the first time in her life she ever heard that. Lest we're too hard in this crowd that run around Jesus cheering about the fact of the resurrection, let us consider the crowds that are around us who still haven't found what they're looking for. Have we, as believers, shared the hope that is within us? Have we tried in our own way? And yes, evangelism isn't easy. We, we always get ourselves tongue-tied and caught up. But if we simply share the powerful message that there is a God who isn't like the kings of the world, he's a God who turns up on a donkey, who does amazing things, who is all power and yet is all gentleness, whom a child can sit in his knee in perfect safety and be delighted. That this God isn't the grumpy judge in the sky that culture likes to betray him as. This distant one who doesn't care about us like some dottery old grandfather. But this is a God of tremendous creative power. A God who the overflow and delight of his heart shaped this world and when we rebelled sent his only son that we could be saved. I mean, Christian friends, that's the gospel. Have you forgotten the good news of that? Have we got distracted with other things? Have we taken our eyes off him? Let's not be too hard on crowds around us then if they come to false assumptions about Jesus, don't know who he is or what he is about. Let's share the good news. Lastly, verse 18. There's hope. There is hope. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard he'd done the sign, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, Look, we are gaining nothing. The world has gone after him. Isn't that amazing? They're actually quite right. I mean, I kind of feel sorry for the Pharisees. They always get it 
just right. And then they, do you ever, what was that? Simpsons, the Simpsons. Who was the guy that always, when he walked on something, he stood in a rake, just hit him in the face? Citro Bob, thank you. Sorry, sorry that illustration's got over a lot of years there, but there's a character, but see, every time he steps out, he steps in a rake and it just hits him in the face. That's the Pharisees. They know more than what they realize. Last week, or two weeks ago, we saw with Paul how Caiaphas actually prophesied correctly that Jesus would be the one to save the nation. And here the Pharisees are absolutely right. They realize that there is something in Jesus that is different. They realize that he is unique. And they don't trust him as Savior and Lord. In fact, they want to kill him because he's threatening their power base. He's threatening their security. And it's better off to do without him. Culture is like that, isn't it? I'm worried when I share the gospel with people and they respond in apathy. What's apathy like? How many of you like to be apathetic? Apathy's not a nice thing, is it? Apathy's Monday morning at 8.30 when you haven't had your coffee, isn't it? It's raining outside and the world's grey. And you hear in the radio some of those happy songs and then you break the radio because you can't listen to the happy songs about shiny, happy people holding hands. Apathy's not being bothered. Apathy's not caring. Apathy is, oh, nothing really matters anyway. To truly get Jesus, there is one of two responses. Healer, fall down at his feet and receive him as Savior and Lord. You trust him for your salvation and you go after him, heart, soul, and mind, or you reject him in rage and anger because you do not want his claims in your life. You don't want to answer to a God who made you and shaped you, and even though he has come after you in love, still you will fight against him. Have you found what you're looking for? Bono at the end of that song interestingly says this, you broke the bond, you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, oh my shame, you know I believe it. This gentle reminder today that Jesus is not like the kings of the world. He is the only one sent from God in love and humility and majesty to redeem this whole planet. He calls each one of you individually to come and follow him, to trust in him. Will you respond to him this morning? If you've followed him for many years, will, regardless of the speaker, if you, forget about me. Will you respond to Jesus this morning? Afresh in love and worship. We've got a baptism coming up on the 10th of December, two baptisms. Will you respond and take that step of baptism and following after him if you're a believer? Will you agree that in your life, let Jesus be Lord and follow him out there and share the good news with your neighbors around you, in your universities, in your schools, in your families? And if you're here this morning and you still feel that emptiness, you still feel that longing, I pray that you would turn your eyes to Jesus Christ the one who's come to save, redeem you, and put eternity of his love into your hearts. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that was of me and was not helpful would fall to the wayside. But that you would speak to each of us. We do love you, Lord. We thank you that you're unlike anyone we know or have met. That you are the undisputed leader and sovereign of this universe and yet you ride in a donkey into Jerusalem 
that you reach into the darkest places of society, bring your light and healing. That you went to a cross. Your coronation wasn't a throne, it was a cross. You give your life for us, freely, unreservedly, and with love. If we have followed you for many years, help us to remember these truths and to focus our hearts back on you again. To devote ourselves to you. Help us to do that by your grace. If we're here this morning and we don't know you, or we've wandered away from you, bring us home. Bring us to the place where we will find what we are looking for. And it's found in you, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God in whose name we pray. Amen. Ask the worship team to come back up.